Well, hello everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the Shiny Developer Series. As you can see, I have a little special guest for the intro. So it's 2020. These things happen. <laughs> um, so in this episode, this has been something I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Um, you've heard me mention in the past how awesome the R community is, and especially in this niche of the Shiny community that I've been such a part of lately. Well, there's one very talented uh, Shiny developer who really got me going very quickly and inspired me so much with what you can do with it. And he and I go way back. In fact, if you listen to the back catalog of my other endeavor of the R podcast, you'll notice he was one of my earlier guests. So I am thrilled to have on this episode um, shiny consultant Dean Atelli. Dean is very well known in the shiny community. We'll hear about his history in a little bit. And he has been doing lots of excellent work, lots of great work in the open source shiny community. And obviously, he's been doing a lot of excellent work of his consulting gig that you'll hear about. But in this episode, he's going to announce something that I am very excited to see him take on. And after we hear the interview, I'll tell you a bit more about how those of us in the Shiny community can support them in this endeavor. So let's not wait any longer. Let's hear our interview with Dean Atelli. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, welcome everybody. We are back with another awesome edition of the Shiny Developer Series. And I am so thrilled that today I am joined by one of the most prominent members in the Shining community, I consider a good friend, um, package author and uh, consultant, Dean Atelli. Dean, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, um, you and I have talked with each other quite a few times, but for those in our audience that aren't as familiar with your background, maybe you could tell them a bit about how you got started with R and then how you discovered Shiny. Yeah, sure. So I've actually, now I've been using R for quite a while, seven years now, which seems like eternity for me. <laughs> and I actually started it um, just by being at the right place at the right time. I started grad school in 2013. And the first course that I took was um, STAT 545. And the person who taught that was Jenny Bryan, who I consider like the master of, of teaching. Um, so she was amazing. She essentially made me fall in love with R just because of the way that she taught and the way that she is. Uh, I have a background in computer science before that. So at first I thought R was this like really weird, clunky language, you know, vectors are based one and, um, and you can recycle vectors and, and all that kind of stuff that just to me seemed weird, but I ended up just really enjoying it. That, I've heard so many good things about that course, uh, the Jenny Bryan's course, so many nuggets of wisdom from that. But um, yeah, certainly as somebody with a computer science background, I'd imagine there were some idiosyncrasies of R that took a bit of getting used to as you were transitioning into it. And mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would imagine that as you were getting involved with Shiny, that having that kind of CS experience, maybe that helped you um, understand a bit of the the workflow a bit better in the early goings or what do you, how do you think your background helped with, with learning shiny the first time? Yeah, for sure. Shiny, um, shiny is first of all, not a very easy thing to learn for people who are, are programmers because it does have a completely different way of thinking, you know, in shiny, we use the reactive framework, which is not how the reg, the rest of R works. Right. Um, even Shiny, I ran into Shiny just by accident because um, during my master's, when I was working with Jenny, she was actually my supervisor uh, at the end, We were I was building a script that a biology lab had to use in order to analyze their data. And I told them, here's the script. It produces everything you need. All you have to do is change a variable at the top that says what data set you want to use. And you know, providing a script to someone who has never programmed before and telling them just change this one line and click on run, that 
you know, to us, our programmers, that seems easy, but to someone who's never seen a console or a terminal, they don't know how to run that. And they don't understand that underscores versus spaces versus hyphens, you right. know, they mean different things. So at first I freaked out and I thought, oh no, I might have to like take all my code and do it in a different language where I can build some desktop app for them. And then Jenny told me, hey, there's this thing called Chiny. It's pretty new. Look into that. Maybe you can... Um, you can provide your your analysis using a Shiny application. So I looked into Shiny. I immediately fell in love with it. I I went zero to hundred like really fast, and and a large part of it was because I have experience as a web developer before that for several years. So a lot of things in it made sense, and I could also see how how beautiful it was, how easy it was to create things in Shiny. Um, with the reactive framework, because that's not how a lot of web development was done before. Right. Now we're having, we're seeing more and more of the reactive stuff happening in JavaScript and web development in general. But um, this was like six years ago, so it was it was just really fun for me to do. And also, there wasn't too much going on in Shiny yet, so I kind of got in early. So it was just fun to just explore and and look under the hood and create packages for it and. It was a very fun time. It was an exciting time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have fond memories, too, of being on the mailing list on Google and seeing your name pop up quite a bit with some discussions with Joe Chang, the author of Shiny, and many others, uh, early adopters as well. And I, I learned so much, even though back then I was a complete novice of it. I was very enthusiastic with learning it, but I was a complete novice. And seeing you talk through those technical issues is really insightful to kind of see a little bit about what's going on under the hood. And then I remember very clearly at the Shiny Dev Conference back in California many years ago, that's when things really started to click for me of like reactivity and, and things like that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of nuggets on that mailing list that I, I have bookmarked for future reference, even though that mailing yeah. list has been archived. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I know the mailings. It was a Google group, right? Yes, that was, exactly. Um, that was the way that we had to to communicate and ask questions about Chinese initially. It was a Google group, yep. and I remember Joe Joe Cheng who wrote Chinese and also started our studio. Um, he used to be on that Google group every day answering questions, um, and yes. you know it seemed crazy because he's this like super smart guy who's definitely busy enough, but he still found time to to listen to input from everyone who was using Chinese and to help out everybody. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was really great to be able to talk to him so much. Yeah, it was very valuable, not just to know the technical features of Shiny, but then really just establishing those relationships in this, what started as a very, you know, small yet very enthusiastic community. And now it's just blown up immensely yeah. of how popular Shiny's gotten. And um, I certainly remember, you know, one of the biggest things you contributed early on was the Shiny JS package, which I still use every single app that I make, mm -hmm. literally every app is using shiny JS. And I believe you were one of the first ones to create a friendly wrapper to at least some JavaScript functionality within a package so that us non-JavaScript wizards like me could, could tap into some really cool tricks. And I would say in today's community of shiny, you're starting to see a lot more packages kind of wrapping, whether it's simple or even more sophisticated JavaScript workflows. I'm just curious, what's your take on this burgeoning kind of area of the Shiny community that's tapping into more custom JavaScript in their packages? Yeah, uh, so you're right. I, I made Shiny.js quite early on. And it is nice to see that there's more and more um, packages that, that deal with UI and user experience and, and JavaScript wrappers. Um, I would say that I think the growth is good, but I don't think it's like exploding it. You know, there, there's some areas in R, there's some packages like for the tidyverse that are just exploding and everyone's sure. building packages for those. Um, with, uh, with regards to, to creating like packages around JavaScript in Chinese, I'm, we're seeing more, especially in the past year, year and a half, there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot more than before. Yeah. Uh, I think it's still not like hitting critical mass where, where, where the average user can, can write packages like that. But hopefully that will change soon because now we have some really great tooling for doing that. Like we right. have HTML widgets, which are really cool, but again, there haven't been too many of them made, but now now we have some great tutorials, even a book about how to build them. So maybe more people will experiment with that. Um, we have React R now, a package that our studio made. So yes. 
anyone who knows how to build React applications can now try to bring those into Shiny. So, so I think the tooling has improved enough that maybe, maybe now we'll see even more. Although it's definitely fun to see to see the ones that exist now. Yeah, um, and and you know, there's kind of a scale factor here too because I would say the Shiny community is probably not nearly as prevalent or as 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 broad as the Tidyverse community or ever areas in R that have, you know, gotten in their, in their little areas of, of knowledge there. But I do, I do think that, you know, as the tooling gets better to create these add-ons, we'll probably will start to see more of it, but it's just shiny itself requires sometimes a different mindset than just regular R package development. So I'm sure that's part of it too. And like I said, as someone like me, who's still kind of a novice for JavaScript, it's difficult for me to know everything about making a widget but again the tooling is getting a lot better so i'm hoping we'll we'll see more around that for sure um but um actually as we were preparing our chat today um you just mentioned that you have um we just mentioned shiny gs but you actually have a brand new package that just hit cran i believe today as we record this um why don't you tell us a bit our audience a bit about the package or maybe give us a quick demo of it yeah that's true um, so I have a package that just uh, went on CRAN today, finally. It's called Shiny Screenshot. And from the name of it, hopefully you can um, understand what it does. It takes screenshots in Shiny apps. I'll go to the GitHub page for it just so you can see um, what it is. So you can capture screenshots either of entire pages or, um, or just parts of a page in a Shiny app. And you know, one thing I really like doing in, in every package that I build is um, is making sure that there's a good readme that makes it very easy to understand exactly what it is. And I think it's very important to also show off a demo because it's kind of like if you want to buy a car, you can go to a dealership and they can show you a car and you can like take pictures around it and they can give you all the specs for it and give you the manual, but mm -hmm. none of it really means much until you actually test drive it and see exactly what it's capable of. Right. So one thing I try to always include is, um, is an actual demo app to see what, what, uh, what a package does. So here's my demo app for Shiny Screenshots. So all I have here is you know, a little time viz timeline. And I especially wanted to use um, something interactive because a big part of taking screenshots is that a lot of times people want to take screenshots um, of interactive elements, you know, plotly plots that have changed or or things that are not just static. So I wanted to right. show off that, that that can be done. So, oh, and another really important thing for me that you'll notice across all of my packages is that when I do have a demo app, I also always want to make sure that you can see the code that is required to to get the functionality working. So for example, if I want to take a screenshot of the entire page, I'll take a screenshot and then I got a PNG downloaded. And if I open it, oh, it opened in a different screen. Here it is. Oh my goodness. I'm amazed already. Um, <laughs> I, now, this has been something I've been looking for for years. <laughs> this is really cool. Right. So I actually um, wrote this package. Uh, I started a few years ago, actually. I think I might have here. I, I even mentioned in the README that I made it because <laughs> Eric had asked about. Um, how to take screenshots in Shiny apps a few years ago, <laughs> wow, um, yeah. Yeah, 2018. Amazing, yep. So, and then he linked, you linked to uh, to a JavaScript library that, that can take screenshots. Yes. So I looked into it back then and I started working on this package. And the thing is the package itself was ready for a long time, for almost two years, mm. but I just never got around to doing all the documentation properly, right? I, I take documentation very, very seriously. I want to make sure that everything is very, very clearly uh, marked, that the parameters make sense, that uh, the readme is good, that there's a good demo app, um, that there's good screenshots, well, screenshots of the shiny screenshots. <laughs> there's some meta um, right there, yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so really just documenting it took me so long just to get around to that because it's not a fun part of development, but Understood. I think it's very important. So, so I was a bit lazy with it. So two years later, it's finally out. Um, <laughs> And, you know, you can also just as an example, if you want to just take a picture of the timeline and I'll show that even if I like move it around, um, here you can see, you know, the actual command that gets called. So you just call screenshot from the shiny screenshot package, and then you tell it what to select. So this time I'm saying, select the timeline. 
And if I take a screenshot of that, now we see the timeline and it did move. So just to show you that, uh, that it works for interactive elements as well. So quick question, that timeline, that selector, was that like a custom div that you made in the app? How, how did it know to find timeline? Uh, maybe you could show me. Uh, no timeline is just the, the name of the, of the output, like oh, the shiny there you output. Go. Okay. Very cool. Nice. Yeah. You could also use custom divs. So for example, I have an example here of taking a screenshot of these inputs. So I did put a custom div around these inputs that's called um, inputs. It's, that's the idea. It's not very... Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's self-explanatory <laughs> at that point, but I'm, I'm seeing the potential already. Um, I'd imagine that not just doing this kind of on demand and giving you like a little widget that they could press or, or whatever have you to select it, this could also be done perhaps even as kind of an overall process of like maybe they completed some long running task and you want a screenshot or something, you could do it kind of dynamically too, I'd imagine. Yes, um, so it works with any in any Shiny app, um, whenever you want, it's just a, a function that you call on the server side. Really nice. Oh, this has been something that people have asked about for ages. And now I, I have at least one app that I'm finishing up very uh, soon that I think I'm going to throw this in, even if it's my last dev cycle. This is worth it. <laughs> very nice. I, I also do want to mention there are two other um, packages that have come out recently that also take screenshots. Okay. They both use slightly different techniques, um, and the, the API is also a little bit different. So okay. if someone does see shiny screenshot, feel free to, to try the other similar packages that I wrote about in the README. Um, choose the one that works best for you. Well, that's the thing. We uh, This is the biggest difference between when we were first getting involved with Shiny and now is that there is definitely choice and a lot of these different capabilities that was not there before. And in, in front of my mind is all the different UI toolkits that are out there. But then these little niche operations that they sound small at first, but boy, do they enhance the user experience so much when you can add this functionality. It's just, uh, it's really nice to be able to have this uh, capability available. So uh, first first of all, congratulations for getting on CRAN. This is really exciting. Yeah, it's, um, that process is getting harder and harder. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, for good reason. There, there's that many more people submitting things, so. Right, right. And um, the one of the other packages, you even alluded to it a little bit, that I use every day is Shiny Alert. And another one of these things where it's just a little user experience enhancement just goes a huge long way to making your app seem like more of a polished, a more polished application that can stand, you know, head to head with any other complicated web UI that you can build. All these things kind of add up. And so you've had at least, you know, four or five packages that all hit this space in different ways. Yeah, so regarding Shiny Alert, which again is another package that, that was only developed because of you, Eric. <laughs> this was not <laughs> planned, by the way, folks. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. Uh, but you ask really good questions and, and you ask things that are very useful for other people. So, so that's really my motivation for a lot of things, seeing where people struggle, where there's an unmet need and, and, uh, and developing a package for that. Um, talking, speaking of uh, Shiny Alert, though, did you see the that there's a new version now? That Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I've been pulling that down in my apps at work, and I love the new features you've added. It's been really cool. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention that, yeah, Shiny Alert does, it's been around for a while, for a few years, um, but the one limitation it mostly had is that it was not able to to render more than one input in it or any outputs, right? It was mostly just for showing text, just kind of as showing a, a message. Right. Uh, but now you're able to put any HTML inside. So you can put shiny inputs, outputs, whatever you want can go inside of shiny alerts. Yeah, there's lots of creative possibilities for, for doing that. Um, one case that I've been working with is I'll, instead of just like having the app do nothing when something long is running, if I can't really get a progress bar out of it, I throw in one of your new versions of Shiny Alert with a, I, I, I'm kind of a geek. I like to put a little image in there just to have a little fun with it. And then I can keep it on the screen, but then when that background process finishes, I just close it right up automatically. 
And it's yeah. just a good way for them to know that something's happening. Don't blame Eric if you don't see something happening. It's it, There's stuff going on. So just these things like this just add the UX just so much. And um, yeah, they're they're all on CRAN. So they're you've done a tremendous job of documentation and making sure they're stable. And you've always been super responsive on your issue tracker whenever users uh, have feature requests or find bugs. That's been really nice. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it does take uh, a big toll though. Um, I have to say, you know, sure. managing a lot of uh, a lot of different open source projects, um, you start thinking about the maintainability and scalability of that because every new project that you add to your plate, um, you know, there's that many more people who 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 are using it and and who will open bug requests and who will ask questions about it. So it is something I've been uh, trying to think about lately. Of um, mm -hmm. you know, I've been a little more careful adding new projects to the mix just because I know that every new project means more time that I have to dedicate to one extra thing. Right. And unfortunately, we do only have 24 hours in a day. It would be great if we had more. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm always trying to scratch those out any way I can. Um, but speaking of things that have been a huge part of your time, um, it was um, probably a year or so after I met you that you started your own consulting company, Atelier Tech. Maybe you could tell our audience what was the genesis of that and your motivations for creating it. Yeah, that's true. So in 2017, I believe, I started Atali Tech. And the reason for that was, um, you know, essentially after grad school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew that I loved working with Shiny. I spent the majority of my, of my thesis time not actually working on my thesis, but instead just building packages for Shiny and answering people's questions and learning about Shiny and just having fun with it. Uh, and again, I have to say, I was really fortunate to to be working with Jenny Bryan because she allowed me to take all this time for just exploring Shiny instead of working on, you know, the project I was supposed to be working on for my master's. <laughs> so yeah, so, so I ended up really loving Shiny, but, you know, I thought I can't really do much with this, you know, in the real world. Um, but then... When I was uh, when I graduated, I noticed that I was starting to get a lot of emails from people asking me for help on their shiny apps. You know, some people would ask me for fixing bugs. Some people would ask me for code audits. Some people would ask me to teach them really anything to do with shiny. And so I started accepting those requests while looking for a job. And then one day I just thought, you know what? Maybe I'll just this, make this my job. I'll just go full shiny full time. So I started just calling myself a shiny consultant and just, um, you know, accepting a lot of uh, shiny work from different, from different clients. And after a couple of years of doing that, I decided to incorporate, um, you know, it was mostly done <laughs> to be honest. It was mostly done for tax purposes. <laughs> That's how a lot of them start actually. <laughs> I don't take it all personally so I can have a, a corporation to to put that in. Sure. But it also helps with with building a brand and, and not being personally liable in case there ever is an issue, which knock on wood hasn't happened yet. But <laughs> it's good to have, you know, the the sep the separation. Yeah, absolutely. And um in general, what I mean you kind of mentioned at a high level what um areas people ask you about. Um, have there been particular industries or, you know, groups of clients that have kind of been more prevalent than others that you support with your with your work? Yes. So it seems that pharma, uh, pharma, I don't know if they're a big user of Shiny or if they're just happen to come to me often, but I noticed um, a lot of my clients are pharmaceuticals. Well, I will, uh, as someone that's in that same industry, I will say that it's becoming very prevalent now in many, many parts of our workflow. So that doesn't surprise me one bit, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who uses Shiny is, is a fan of mine. So. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot, of, um, a lot of universities, you know, I, I suppose because R is fairly big in the academia world, so sure. it makes sense universities um, use a lot of R in Shiny. Uh, but really, really anyone, it ranges from like government agencies, startups, financial companies, um, really anybody. Shiny is really going everywhere, which is so nice to see. Not what we imagined, you know, seven years ago, I'm sure. Oh, it is. It's way different than, than seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and so 
I'm I'm sure you've had like a multitude of projects you've supported, multiple clients you support on. What's your um, take on the future direction of where you want to take a Teletech? Um, if you want to comment on that a bit. Yeah, um, that's a very, very good and relevant question, actually, because I, I don't know if, if many people have noticed, but uh, last year in 2019, I wasn't as active online and, and in the open source community in general. I, um, I didn't release any new packages last year. I was more in like maintenance mode. Uh, I just you know, fixed bugs and anything that came up. I, I added features to packages, but I haven't done anything big. Um, I also had no blog posts for a whole year in 2019. And the reason for that was because I was just getting a lot of clients, um, you know, for my for my shiny work for Italitech. And that was really just taking up all of my time. I love doing open source work and I want to do as much of it as I can, but I just could not find the time last year. So my goal for 2020 was to, to try to fix that and to go back to what I was doing before in the years before that when I had less work to do and I had more free time, I was able to do more open source. And, you know, COVID actually came at an interesting time because, you know, beginning of 2020 when I wanted to to try to do more open source again. So because of COVID, you know, being locked down at home, not being able to go see friends, not being able to travel, not being able to do much, I actually ended up doing a lot of work during COVID. I released a couple packages. I I um, I upgraded um, one of my non-shiny projects, uh, Beautiful Jekyll, which is a website theme builder. Um, I made a huge upgrade there. I made big up updates to a lot of my Shiny.js, to Shiny Alert, to a lot of my packages. And so I really do want to go back and, and contribute more to the open source. I want to be able to, to build packages that everybody uses, not just single clients. So I'm hoping that my goal is to have fewer clients moving forward and working more in open source. But in order to do that, um, I do need to be able to support myself. So ideally, my goal would be to be able to have people sponsor me, small amounts, you know, $10, $15 per person per month. And if I can get enough people to give me small sponsorships, kind of like Patreon style, mm. then hopefully I can just use that to make a living and not take many private clients and, and just focus as much as I can on just building things that will help the entire community. That really is my dream. Wow, that, that's really um, awesome to hear. And there, there seems to be a lot more movement in that space of having more of a community-driven revenue model and then using that to kind of justify contributing back to the community via open source or other initiatives. Um, certainly there's been quite a few people I follow in the tech industry that have kind of taken that leap. And is it easy always? No, probably not. But um, it, it's that given that you've established, I would say, a really great re relationship or, or um, reputation in the shiny community. Um, certainly, I love the open source work you do, and I'd love to see that keep going. So I'd say certainly I hope that I hope that happens because we we all can benefit from Dean's new packages or advice going forward for sure. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you've been, you know, getting more experience working with different teams, over there in statistics or data science, whether from pharma or non-pharma, and what are some of the ways that you're seeing, like, they're the bigger picture of how Shiny is bringing value to like the projects they're working on. Now you've kind of been consulting with different industries. Yeah. So again, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how, how many different people across different industry industries find value um, in Shiny. Um, it really, I, I think it's growing very, very fast. Um, I'm seeing a lot of uh, data science teams in, in, in all the sorts of companies wanting to to move all their internal uh, all their internal visualizations into shiny because a lot of them have been using Excel before and it seems like slowly people are understanding that Excel it's it's great for a lot of things it's great as a spreadsheet it's great for for seeing you know data and cells but it seems like more and more people are realizing that the problem with making very complex you know, analytics within Excel, which, which people do, you can do amazing things with Excel. Uh, mm -hmm. People are noticing that 
it's not a maintainable thing to do because it's you lose um you don't quite know like what's going on behind the scenes right you don't see right. any of the code so it's very easy to to have no idea what's happening there um it's also it can't handle huge amounts of data um and you don't really have a server in the back end that, that you can really do anything you want with right you're only constrained to the few features that excel has so i'm, I'm seeing that a lot of different teams are using this as, as sort of dashboards to to just visualize anything that they do um, for example i'm working with one doctor who is an anesthesiologist I'm not sure if i said that right um, the people who go into surgery and, and make sure that um, the person under surgery is staying asleep sure yeah yeah <laughs> Answering the right drugs, yep. and he's working with me on a shiny app that he can use in real time during the surgery to input the the drugs that he's giving the patient and like the different doses to, doses, and kind of he can see a graph in real time of of how much the drugs are taking effect, and he can like get suggestions for the next drugs. Um, so it's really cool to see it in in really everywhere. Yeah, that to see the possibilities are kind of endless. I mean, even just simple data entry or real-time visualizations. I mean, there, I have ideas of how I could just use Shiny just in my personal productivity. <laughs> and I've had a few efforts on that a little bit, just playing with things. But with the way it can hook into different backends, different systems, there's the limits are really your, only your imagination at this point. And it's certainly been transformative in the projects I work on. And it's really cool to see get, getting more traction in just the general art community and how they can put a, a really nice front end to like a complicated analysis routine or even to just to create what really boils down to a real software product out of it. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, I know you're right. And, and I do think that there's also a lot of value, even if you don't work at a company that uses Shiny, um, I think there's a lot of value in just using it for little personal projects, uh, just little daily activities that you find yourself needing to do. Um, right. I, I myself every month or so I find another little shiny app that I can build just for myself for my own use that I don't make public just something to help me. Yeah, more I'm trying to do that more often these days for my stuff too. Um, so we've kind of seen in the last few years, or maybe a couple of years, especially that trying to debunk the myth of shiny was really only good for prototyping. But now we can see that it is very valid for creating robust production grade applications. I guess my question to you would be, as you've been so very well experienced with Shiny all these years, um, what advice do you have for developers that maybe have started like a little prototype and then they get buy-in from their organization or their clients that they really wanna take it to another level? What kind of advice do you have for those that wanna make their app be more production ready or what kind of concepts should they keep in mind to kind of make that happen in a seamless way. Yeah, so you're right that there is definitely this misconception that Chinese is just for prototyping. And I, I, I think that a big part of that is because Shiny made itself so user, so beginner friendly and so accessible, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in other languages, in order to build a complex production web app, you need to you need to be a good programmer. You need to like understand web technologies. You have a lot more barriers to entry. So by the time that you can build even a basic app, you just have a lot more IT knowledge just because of the more experience you have in general. But with Shiny, they've made it so simple that anyone can just build a very simple Shiny app. And so, you know, you're taking people who don't quite have that experience, a lot of IT um, and, and web dev experience, and they're able to to build a cool, a really nice shiny app for themselves. But then they get into this issue of like, how do I productionize it now? So so people, you know, I th so I think it was wrong to say that Chinese only for prototyping. I think shiny is great for prototyping because it's so quick and fast to make things work, but it can also just be used for anything. and. Um, from my experience, I've, a lot of my clients are using Shiny uh, in production, including big companies. Um, and I'm seeing more and more people who are building Shiny apps as um, as a software as a service. So they're building a Shiny app and then they're trying to take you know payments and, and making that their like side business. So that's really cool. Yeah, right. Um, in terms of advice, I, I will I'll begin by saying that a lot of advice I give people often. Um, revolves more around just 
your code, um, j just having clean code, having code that is maintainable and, and works well. Um, there's actually a book that I really enjoy called Clean Code. Oh, that cool. I, I, really, I, I have like a, a little uh, point form notes that I took from it and I share it with a lot of my clients just to kind of show them examples of how to make it much easier for them to work with code, them and their future selves and, and their partners. Um, I also, I also recommend always, always, always using our studio projects, you know, <laughs> plus a hundred on that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a very small, very basic thing, but that can make a big difference. And a lot of people, maybe in our circle, people use it all the time, but there, there's still a lot of, um, a lot of users out there who, who don't use our studio projects and they don't quite understand, um, what they do. So, so reading up a little bit on, on what that does and why that means that you'll always know what working directory you're in. You'll know where all your data is stored. You know that you're not going to be using um, variables from other projects. So that all is very useful. Um, in terms of taking an application and making it production ready, some of my advice is, first of all, have a great readme that explains how to set up the application. Because when you've worked on it on your laptop and then you want to take it into a different environment, into your uh, Shiny server, into Shiny apps, into Connect, into wherever that may be, you want to know exactly what you need for that. Sometimes you need a certain database to exist or certain files. Sometimes you need um, certain environment variables to be set, uh, configuration files maybe. So that's the first step I really say. Like every time you add a dependency to your project, put it in a readme so that it's easy for anyone else to take that and deploy it somewhere else. Um, another thing I, I, I notice a lot of people miss is always test your app in two separate tabs at the same time. Because- Oh, that's an interesting one. Maybe we can elaborate on that further. Yeah, so it's very easy to, to think that your app works great. And then once you have two people using your app at the same time, all of a sudden you run into weird bugs that you're not sure why they happen. Uh, sure, yep. And the reason for that often happens is that you're accidentally overriding a global variable inside your Shiny server code. So when one person does an action, it ends up overriding it for the other person in a completely separate computer. <laughs> so I always test everything I do in two separate tabs. Um, more than that, I, I also think um, making an application easily testable is extremely important so that you can develop much faster. And when you do find a bug, you can pinpoint it much easier. So part of that means building your app using modules. So both of us have been using Shiny since before modules existed. Yes, yes. And so we appreciate how amazing it is for anyone who's starting with Shiny now to have Shiny modules available. Oh, yes. If so only back then we had it from the start, there was one app I made. The first version of it was like my own hodgepodge take of modules, trying to learn from others in the community that kind of did similar things, but I broke it so badly that I once modules and I was like, rip the guts out modules all the way from that point on. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it was actually kind of nice for us to not use them in the beginning because we were able to, to really see how much value they add. Right, right. So I, I love modules and every every app I build, I always build it within a module. Um, and, and that way, if you ever notice that something breaks in your app, instead of having to try to debug the entire app, you can just take the one module where that contains the piece of code that broke and you can extract that module out, put it in a separate project, just work on that module, fix the bug there, and then put it back into your big shiny app. Makes it a bit easier. Um, one more thing I like to do, and I'll show on, um, I'll do a screen share just to show you. Oh, absolutely. Oops, wrong one, there we go. So often, um, this goes back to my point about um, wanting to be able to test your app easily and to, and to develop quickly. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have um, a few inputs. Let's put a numeric input. Um, the two numeric inputs. Not very creative with my naming. Oh, I'm I'm very boring with mine. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, um, as long as the app works, and live coding always makes me worry about that. <laughs> so 
so let's just say that I have um, a little output um, sum. And I just want to add those two numbers. Output sum, render text, num plus num2. So now if you run this, you know, we have, you can see that it works. That's fine. Sure. Now, you can imagine when you when you have a lot of different inputs and you want to and you want to be able to test something you, you want to um you know first of all there's the whole shiny test um package and yes. there's uh, unit testing shiny i'm not talking about that i'm talking about when you want to manually when you're developing and you're trying to just see how different things work mm -hmm. what i like to do is what if i wanted to just see what happens when num is 10 and num2 is 15 but i wanted this you know different things and i want to do it quickly so instead of running the app every time and changing the numbers, what I like to do is I create a um, little environment variable for my non-environment variable, a, a variable in R. Let's call it Dean test. I just make it true, and then in my server code, I check if there is um, if that flag is on. So I do, you know, if. If that variable exists, then uh, when the app starts, let's right away um, get it to the state that I want it to be for testing purposes. So update numeric inputs, session num values 10, and a second 15. So now because um, I have Dean test equal to true, when I start my app, right away see my new set of, of inputs instead of having to go through them. So of course, in this case, it's not very useful, but you can imagine when you have a lot of different inputs, um, that can be very, very good instead of having to go and change every input until you get to the state uh, that you want to be in. And I also recommend doing it with a, with a test variable like this because I've seen a lot of people just you know, having these lines of code in their application. <laughs> and then every time before they... Um, for the deploy, they just comment them out. Right. And so that is that's dangerous to me for two reasons. Uh, first of all, it's very easy to forget to comment and uncomment, so you might accidentally check it in with the testing code. And second of all, for anyone else who comes and looks at your code, it's not clear whether these lines are commented out because because they're test code, because there's something that used to work and now you're trying to work on. It's just it's unclear what's happening here. Exactly. Inside an if statement, it's much clearer that this is just um, a test. So this is a very simplistic version of what I do, but but something like this I usually like to to do while I'm developing to to be just a lot quicker. Well, that's an awesome tip, and I've been seeing yeah, your you this message is starting to get across a little more in some of the resources I've been working with, some of the others in the shiny community I talk with, or you have maybe some hooks that you can tap into for what you might say in your development state of a shiny app versus when you actually push it to production, then you do something different. There's been some tooling made to make that easier, but just this, this little trick that anyone can do on just defining a variable in real time and then making sure your code just simply checks for that. That's one of the easiest ways to get this like specific use case and be able to evaluate it effectively. That's certainly a great nugget to nugget to learn there. Yeah, it's that's uh, very. And if if I I want to take another minute to to even uh, go one step further. Yes. Show another little tip that I think can save people a lot of time if they're if they're um, developing and debugging a lot. Um, let's say we have a file input, so a lot of file inputs. The, the app still runs. Yeah, there's a file input here. Now, a lot of times when um, when I want to test an app that requires a data set to be uploaded, we, you run through the same thing. In order to do that, you have to click on the browse button and upload your data set. Now, if you have to do this you know, 50 times in an hour, that does add up time. <laughs> yes. In order to do that quicker, um, what I do is, let's say, you're you're using the file input somewhere, so you're doing you know read CSV, um, 
input dollar sign file dot. I think it's a data path. That's the way you get the actual file that you've uploaded. So wherever you use the file, instead of using the file directly, what I do is I, I define a reactive that will take the path of the file. So let's call it my file. I make it a reactive val. Start off with now. I'm I'm smiling right now because I've been doing this very thing literally yeah, this past thing. week. This is an awesome paradigm. Yeah, and then so now what happens is that whenever whenever the file whenever the user actually uploads a file, so whenever the file input changes, we'll make we'll update that uh, that reactive val. But also, if we're testing, we can update that reactive val right away. Yes. With, you know, my I, test data.csv. I think reactive values are something that needs to be talked about more because it's like injecting your own kind of logic that acts like a UI kind of change, but doing it server side and sharing things across reactives. Every module I make has at least one, probably even sometimes 10 of these reactive values for various mm -hmm. bits of app state. It's really an awesome technique. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so I, I do want to mention though quickly that reactive values are amazing, but you should try to always use um, the regular reactive whenever possible. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, 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 but it's good to know about reactive val and how they can be useful. But I have seen cases where people just use Reactive Val for everything, for things that can be regular reactives, and, and that should be avoided. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a, a time to use it and a time to not. I have a situation where there's like some kind of state I need to share across many reactives, and maybe more than one reactive is going to change something on the back end. So giving it a Reactive Valley to update, then they all can kind of have fair access to each of them. But you're right. It's not, not going to solve everything. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, it's good to understand the difference. So yeah. what what I usually say is that a reactive, just a reactive function, that you use when you just have a recipe that tells you how to create a variable, mm -hmm. but you don't care when that updates. You just want to know how to create the variable. Um, reactive val is used when you need to manually decide when to change the variable to a specific value. So the reason I Reactive is preferred because it works better inside of Shiny's reactive framework because you don't need to know when it changes. Um, it just does everything automatically. That's Whereas true. Well, reactive value, you need to manually tell it when to update. Yeah, you have to be more prospective with it. And there are situations where that's a good thing. And sometimes it kind of makes your head scratch. You're like, why did that update or why did that not update? <laughs> cool. Um, so while while you're here, I maybe I'll ask you a little bit of free consulting, if you don't mind. Um, you notice how you had those three inputs um, kind of top down one one after another. What's your t what's your recommendation for like if you want to put those side by side without having to always do like a fluid row and then column with two and then another column with two and another column with two? Are there tricks to like put things side by side much easier? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I just figured since you're in here, that's fine. Um, so nowadays we do have. Um, CSS has advanced a lot, you know, in the past few years. So sure. we have called the flex, um, flex grids. So you could use, you know, CSS um, with flex. But honestly, I still use the the good old grid with the rows and columns. Okay, and good. It, okay. Yeah, I, I use CSS for for adding, for, you know, doing white space, um, doing colors, doing fonts, doing. Um, more more pixel perfect positioning, but just to getting the, the basic grid down uh, with the the number of rows and columns, I still just use um you know the basic bootstrap grid. I find it not too bad. <laughs> you know you have to define a column and a row for each thing, but yeah, but it it, it works. It works, yeah. And and once you get the hang of it, you you can you know lay things out very prospectively that way. There were just sometimes I just get fed up with <laughs> these little things that are going to be very small and just that, but yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of words. If, if you only have like one column per row, so it's a lot of text to put fluid row, bracket, column, bracket, right. 12, comma. But so yeah, if you have something very basic, it does seem like a lot. And I do usually skip, sometimes I skip using rows and columns if I'm just having, you know, one item per row. Sure. 
but anything more there's a certain elegance to the fact that it's it's very um it's very descriptive you know exactly what you're going to get right right well it's good to know that somebody way better at shiny than i am is still with the tried and true fluid roll layout it makes me feel better <laughs> still using him yeah yep very cool you know actually you know just say these tips alone i mean i'm even gonna like literally when we get done recording this and i edit it i'm gonna take that sound bite about your I, your delineation of reactives and reactive valves that was like really succinctly stated so like definitely keep sharing these tips with all of us it's really helpful <laughs> yeah um i actually do want to maybe start sharing more tips like this i've um i've just dabbled with my first uh youtube screencast i uh, did see that yes yeah so and this is the reason i now have an actual microphone i didn't have this a week ago <laughs> I got some good response for my for my first YouTube video, so I thought maybe I'll make more. So yeah, in audio, you've got you've got a, a good uh, time to do that with obviously everybody mostly kind of being at their computers like at home now and you know having time to learn more on demand. But yeah, it's it's great great idea and um certainly I I'm I'm wanting to keep that going for sure. Just selfishly, you always share so many cool things whenever I talk with you. And yeah, you're always welcome to come back on this one anytime you want to do some cool like dev sessions um, in the future too. Yep. Yeah, cool. Um, I, I want to mention just one more thing that might be helpful for people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're not done yet. I just wanted to make, put that invitation out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because you're talking about showing little things that are helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a function in Shiny.js that I don't think a lot of people know about. So I'm going to first include Shiny. I'll start a new app actually. So let's start a new app. And with Shine.js, you always have to include it. Yep. Now there's this function called um, run code. So have you? Do you know about this uh, function? Here? I've I've seen you mention it, although I've never actually used it in practice yet. So I'd, I'd love to see how this works in action. So this is something that I I often use. I often put it in in my apps while I'm developing them. Uh huh. It allows you to do is allow it allows you to to just run some R code. Um, you know, on demand while the Shiny app is running in that Shiny session. Oh, interesting. So all you have to do is you have to just add this uh, run code UI to the UI and call run code server and the server. And then once you run it, creates this little, um, you know, a text field with, uh, with a run button. And anything you do in here will now run inside your Shiny session. So if I define a variable, let's say num equals eight, and I run it, you don't really see anything happen, but mm -hmm. how I do use it is if I need to do anything that's interactive, like if I want to add a tab or or change anything on the app. So for example, if I want to see what an alert would look like, like when I'm testing out shiny alerts and I want to see what would look the best, I could just call it from here. So let's just say test and um, I call the variable now so I can still use that same variable that I defined before. Oh, sorry, this won't work because I didn't include any alerts in my app <laughs> oh well, there you go yeah um I've, I've always noticed that yeah for most of the widgets out there you have to just get them in there somehow first before you can actually use them yep yeah and um i actually do want to talk about that for a sec so, oh yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, oh, so able there to it goes yep i like to do this when i when i'm kind of when i want to be able to run things on demand inside a shiny app now, would that have access to like reactives and stuff that are inside the app? Like, what, what are there any limits to what it can access when you do that? No, it, it's just running inside your server code. Okay. So use it. I will give that a shot. Yeah, that's really intriguing. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, regarding this like use function, that's something that I started doing um, with Shiny.js mm -hmm. you know, years ago. And I kind of noticed that pattern being picked up by other packages too, which is nice. So, the reason you need it is because anything that, ha that has to do with JavaScript, you need to include some JavaScript on your page sure. in the UI mm -hmm. uh, so that when you call a function, it'll know um, what to do about it. But I have been thinking recently that it's a bit clunky to always have to remember to, to call that function. It's easy so, to forget too. <laughs> easy to forget. So it might be useful if, if, if I show a little error or warning message saying, hey, it looks like you're trying to call a function in Chine.js, but you haven't like initialized it. Um, or I've even thought about experimenting with with dynamically injecting, you know, the, the use shiny JS when you call a shiny JS function. 
um, I can do that, but I just it might break like old code. So mm. that that's that's the that's the bad thing about um, releasing things and getting users before you have um, enough time to fully fully develop an API. And then you you're worried about backwards breaking changes. Yeah, I know that that's a delicate issue in software development in general. And sometimes if you know it's for the better of the project as a whole to kind of go in that different direction, you you may just do like a soft deprecation for a bit. And then like there's another release later on and says, okay, you've been warned that I'm going this direction. Now it's completely gone or, or something like that. I mean, it, it's a no, there's no easy answer to it. And I've seen people like create new packages because they didn't want to break the old one i mean the famous example is of course ggplot2 right no, yeah. but yeah the, the i work with a, a very talented colleague that's doing a brand new package because he kind of stretched the limits of his current one that's widely popular so it yeah no one the well no one the phone him i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great tip i'm you know shiny gs has a lot of things under the hood that i probably have used maybe 60 percent of it um, but you just pack a lot in there. So there's a lot to discover if you're new to it. Definitely the GitHub repo for ShinyGS has a ton of great information and great links to to learn more. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, I try to keep it up to date every time I add a new function. Although I try not to add too much because um, you know, I don't, I don't want it to become something that just has like a ton of random functions. I want it to be very... I want to just have a core of functions that are used across a lot of users. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I hope we can look forward to more uh, cool demos like this in the future. on your, on oh, your I, uh, infinitely Exploding YouTube channel, right? <laughs> yep. um, so we, we've had a, we've had awesome time chatting with you. Maybe if you, one thing we could kind of close with is um, what advice do you have for those that have, maybe either shiny curious or they've dabbled in shiny a bit and they've seen some of the great things you've done. They heard about the things we talk about kind of what advice do you have for those that want to take their shiny skills kind of to the next level, um, if you will. Okay. So up until recently, um, there wasn't really any great, uh, single resource, but now, thankfully, um, Hadley is working on his book, Mastering Shiny, which Absolutely. I'm sure you, a lot of people know about. Yep. So that is honestly my, my number one thing to go now for anyone who's entering the Shiny world. Read the Mastering Shiny book by Hadley. Um, it, he's doing a fantastic job at explaining so many different concepts that we all wish we would have known five years ago. <laughs> oh, don't we all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think it's um, it's very good to 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 just have your own projects that, that you want to build. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, even if it's something you don't know how to do or if you'll be able to do, just try to do it if Shiny. Um, chances are you'll probably be able to do it once you dig enough because Shiny really is just a web development framework. So you can do anything with it. So a great way to learn is just to try things that you want to do for yourself because that kind of gives you the extra motivation of, of not giving up if you actually find usefulness in it. Right, right. Yeah, prototyping, trying things out and, and thinking outside the box a little bit. Um, I know that for me, as I was like you, I was involved early on, but I there were times I just didn't know what the heck reactivity stuff was happening. Like I knew the functions, but I didn't really know the the nuts and bolts behind it. But you don't really real understand that until you try things out and you see how they break and you see these anti patterns that sometimes you fall into and then finding the ways to fix that. Um, a lot of that I learned the hard way, but I think with Mastering Shiny coming out, I also will recommend uh, Colin Fay's a book, uh, Engineering Production Shiny Apps, with the kind of the opinionated framework on creating an app as a package. That's taught me a lot of things, not just about making a package of an app, but just kind of the issues that you often um, deal with, especially when you're in the industry trying to make a robust product. And we're seeing some other resources on like the advanced shiny user interfaces from David Grandjean's coming out. And there's lots of, there's lots of stuff that, like you said, if these have been around a few years ago, Oh, I could have done so much more, but no, I've, I've been doing stuff, but it's like, this is a great time to get involved because there's, there's a, a few great uh, resources to tap into for sure. Yeah. So, so, so that kind of goes back to the beginning question about um yeah. where I said, I think, I think maybe now we'll start seeing um a quicker, um, explosion of, of, of packages and people building things because now we have 
this many more resources that t- it took a few years for us to get there. But like this year, we've got a lot of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, Dean, it's been really great chatting with you. Um, for those that want to get in touch with you, what, what's the best way that they can reach you? Um, at my website, uh, deanatali.com. There's a, there's a contact page there or on Twitter, D-A Atali. Yeah, well, just just don't try to contact me on LinkedIn. I, I go there once a month. So <laughs> people always message me there and I always have to go in a month later and like, hey, sorry, just email me instead, please. I'm a little guilty of that too. Yeah, for, for me, it's like email or, or Twitter or GitHub issues if it's a project. <laughs> GitHub does get my attention, yeah. Yeah, that's but, how yeah. that's how I met you the first time, actually, when the, the Shawnee yeah. Alert request. Yep. It's been a very productive uh, friendship. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, you're like I said, you're welcome back on this on this uh, uh you know Shawnee Dev series anytime, because if we you and I just kind of do a a quick screen share of doing some cool Shawnee Dev, I know I will learn a lot and maybe over as well too, and we'll definitely put a link to your uh, new YouTube uh, channel in, in the show notes as well. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, well, thanks again for joining us, Dean. Um, and we'll be back, everybody, right after this. Well, I hope you could see, by the way, he and I are able to connect so well together that um, Dean just is brilliant in so many ways. And I commend him for what he is going to embark on and trying to become, you know, hopefully a full-time shiny developer in the open in terms of his open source efforts. And I do follow a lot of open source communities and a lot of developers that do strive to make sure that they can support themselves working on completely open source work. And I've seen both great successes and honestly some, you know, not so great successes. But boy, I think Dean is, uh, if anybody's going to pull this off on the shiny side of things, I think Dean is the one to do it. Now, in terms of what all those of us can do, obviously you've seen by now that Dean has launched his own versions of shiny screencasts. Oftentimes he's doing live screencasts now. That's must-see viewing if you're into shiny at all, especially from somebody as talented as Dean is and both the packages he writes and obviously being able to decipher some really difficult concepts. So if you're not following his channel, you should definitely give that a follow. And we'll have a link to the YouTube channel in the show notes, uh, in this episode's show notes, I should say. And then another great thing you can do is to literally support him via um, regular donations. And what Dean has done is he's opened up his uh, GitHub sponsors um, portal on his GitHub account where you can give um, as little as even $2 a month to help Dean with this journey of funding his open source efforts. Both myself um, and Curtis Kemphardt, who of course is helping with our Shining Developer Series here from our studio, we have both become contributors because obviously, as I said, I love the great work Dean does, and if anybody deserves to go on this journey and hopefully can pull it off, I want to do everything I can to help Dean along the way. And I certainly hope if you are, you know, a, a user of his many packages, you heard me mention Shiny JS, and you also heard uh, indirectly I was able to, you know, maybe kickstart a little bit on that Shiny screen, the screen capture uh, package. Um, if you're, if you value his work, this is a great way to show it. So we'll have a link to the, um, GitHub sponsor page in this episode's show notes as well. Well, I don't think I'll have too much more to say here, but we will wrap up. My special guest has been very kind to let me do these, uh, intros and, and closers without too much disruption. And I do, um, have almost everything lined up for starting my own little uh, journey with shiny screencasting and showing some of the things I've learned and and hopefully learn out loud, as they say, and have some of you join me to take part in that journey. And I'll be sure to send out tweets and announcements on when that's going to be um, very soon. So that will wrap up episode 17. If you'd like to get in touch and send feedback to the show, You can find this episode and, of course, all the previous episodes on our home site, 
shinydevseries.com. There's also a link to the contact page, which of course is a shiny F under the hood. That's how we do things here. And um, you're also welcome to send me a shout on Twitter. I am at the Rcast, or you can send a note to our official Twitter account of that shiny developer series or shiny dev series. Sometimes I get that mixed up too. All right. Well, I hope to see you for our next episode and perhaps it'll be one of those live streams. You never know. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Say bye. Okay. <laughs>